Hey guys, this is Emma, Vivo Barefoot's Head of Sustainability, and I f***ing hate the word sustainability. Join me as I talk to a whole bunch of people way smarter than me about how we're all going to make regeneration the new normal. Hey guys, welcome to the Vivo Barefoot Regeneration Podcast. Our guest today is one of the smartest people I know. He's also one of the most authentic and dedicated people I know. He's worked for many years in the aerospace industry and then at Jaguar Land Rover, leading their sustainability initiatives. He's now the Associate Director at Cambridge University on their sustainability leadership program, which is where we first met, bonding over a mutual love of political satire and complex systems thinking. He believes, and I do agree, that comedy is a big part of the solution to the climate crisis. That if you can just make people laugh, you can have their attention and engage people on the complicated topics that underpin it. So let's start there. It seems like at the moment, every average Joe has become a doctor in medical and political science. Online and offline conversations everywhere are filled with people suddenly believing in and quoting the science around coronavirus. Barely anyone knew who the World Health Organization was before all this. Now it seems like they run the world. What do you think this has happened? And do you think it will change the way people engage with science in the future? Uh, well, well, thank you, uh, Emma, for that. Uh, I hope I can live up to that introduction that you just given me there. But the, yeah, the, the World Health Organization clearly in charge because because this is this is their field. This is a global pandemic, um, and they somewhat sit in the background the rest of the time, producing you know, sort of reports and statistics and giving uh, sage warnings about things. It's interesting that an organization like that should become so front of house. Um, and, and you see it you know, even more so with the, the local health and science ministers being on stage with politicians. You know, that, that, that's really quite a moment. I, I'm struggling to think of moments when you've seen politics and science so cheap by jowl. So it's, it's really quite a, a moment in our, our development to, to see those things so short-circuited. Why has it happened? Um, I think because of the immediacy of this. You know, there, there's always been this interaction between politics and science, but it's always been rather spread out in, in, in time and space, whereas this is happening right now immediately. You know, there are daily statistics, there are daily changes in, in the status, and it has consequences for us all. It's not a national thing, it's not a particular industry, it's affected just about everybody on the planet. So, so we, we've got this immediacy, we've got this intensity, uh, and you know, in our immediate futures, whether we look at it from a personal point of view, from a financial point of view, and in terms of our national futures, all of that's playing out in real time. So, so, so these kind of briefings where you see politics and science on stage at the same time with this backdrop of the World Health Organization behind it is, is rather a unique moment and a pause for thought. And we're being forced into that situation right now without choice. We just, that's just where we're stuck. You know? So we're stuck now for, and not just for a few days of the new, the rolling news cycle, but we're stuck in that mode for weeks, probably months, you know, and, and, and with some implications for years. So, so, so that, that's, that's the kind of, uh, it's unusual intensity that we get to think about that and, and experience it. Why do you think that that's so different to the arguably still very applicable to everyone and very material you know, issues to do with the climate crisis because obviously air pollution and, and water health and, you know, um, rising seawaters and everything to do with the climate crisis is still very much affecting everyone. Would you not say? Absolutely. But, but they play out, they play out in, in very long timeframes and they play out over years, if, if not, you know, decades and, and possibly lifetimes, depending on what, which factor you're looking at. So, um, and we as human beings have evolved in a situation uh, you know, if you look at our history over a few hundred thousand years, most of the time we, we've had fairly short-term, immediate 
concerns, you know, the, you know, who's that at the door? Is it a tiger? Are the children on fire? You know, th- those, those kinds of things are preoccupied. So a deep sort of visceral instincts are, are based on, can I survive to the end of the day? And, and can I look after my uh, immediate family? We've, we've put ourselves through industrialization, modernization into a position where we don't have to worry about those things very much, but our instinct is for those things. And so the two things have become detached. We're saying, well, there's no immediate threat to my family. Uh, so I can you know, worry about other things, you know, think more, more fickle things. And, and so we've become detached from that. And, and what this crisis has done is reattached us to that. You know, we're now sitting with our families, worrying about our, our health and all those immediate things which, which, which are there in our gut, in our um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of, of, of descent. So, so we've reconnected with what really matters to us, which we've become, in many cases, very far uh, disconnected to, especially in the, the developed world. So I guess that's the question then. Do you think that um, the way that you know, most people have reacted to this around the world, do you think that will now start to change the way that we approach science? I think, it, I think we shouldn't be too optimistic. I think that, that you know, there's a cup half full, cup half empty piece to this. So I mean, the cup half full is that we, we've realised science matters. We've realised it's relevant. We've realised that there's a connection to our, our future and our well-being and, and, and things that we can learn from science that we, we might need to study more carefully in order to survive, not just prosper in the wider, more traditional sense. I think we should be a little bit sceptical about a revolution. I think once this thing is is over, and it will never be completely like it was, but once we're through the, the crisis element of it, I suspect we will want to rush back to how things more or less were. And I think that, for me, that's a really critical moment, is to hang on to what we've learned from this. We've, we've learned that a lot of the people who we pay least well in society are actually the most, yeah, when, when the stuff hits the fan they're the most important people we have and yet we've traditionally treated them rather poorly in terms of working conditions pay and so forth um, and some of the things we've actually thrown a lot of money and effort at are actually rather fickle and unimportant you know so, so we shouldn't forget that as we get back to whatever uh, normal comes to look like and the some of the things that we've we've not attended to and the whole sustainability climate change as you say water air quality all those things which we've kind of known about but not treated as urgent um those things are all there as well you know this this was something we weren't attending to you know that people were talking despite some of the political rhetoric on this people were talking about this as a, as a risk to humanity that could spread very quickly and have devastating effects um, that was known, and it was on a little risk diagram, along with many other little risks that we're just bubbling around and jostling for position. The reality is they all matter. Um, and for me, they go on the back burner because it's overwhelming to deal with many multiple criteria, because that's just not how we, 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 we're most comfortable. We're most comfortable focusing on one or two things. The reality of what, what we do as a profession in sustainability is all of those things matter, which can feel overwhelming, but you, there, there is there are ways of cutting through that, and the whole systems thinking piece, which I which I talk about a lot, is is important. So they're interconnected. You know how we treat nature and how we treat animals, and whether we see them as a as a, as a serious part of the equation uh, and and worthy of respect, actually affects whether we come into into contact with these viruses. You know, so so it's not it's not a the virus isn't an isolated thing that nobody saw coming and we don't really understand. It's part of a system. And how we treat that system is important. And, and you know, sustainability is an effort to sort of package those things up and say, well, there are, this is a manageable entity, not a series of trade-offs and, and separated uh, issues um, that we can um, treat in isolation. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, call me the ever-ending ever cynic, but um, I guess my fear is right now that people are taking the opportunity, and by people I mean institutions are taking the opportunity with the focus on the coronavirus crisis to, and maybe I'm just believing too many conspiracy theories, but 
to not pay attention to all of those kind of interconnected, you know, issues and topics that are all very much related to what we're going through now, how it came about and what life will look like after. In some ways, I'm worried that the biggest, baddest organizations are kind of getting away with bloody murder at the moment. And I'd be interested to understand if you if you think that as well, or whether you, you know whether you think that maybe actually it is all being handled okay. It, it, for me personally, it's a bit early to tell. I mean, the, we, we're in a we're in a moment of crisis, and again, crisis is something I talk a lot about in in my sort of daily work. In that in that crisis is, is is a moment. They're punctuation marks, and and how you respond to crisis um, often dictates a lot about what happens after the crisis. And when you're in the crisis, you're you're less attentive to those things, which is what gives opportunity. You've, you've described some organisations taking advantage of that opportunity to further their own you know, self-interested agenda. But what I talk about in crisis is it's an opportunity. It's very easy to get distracted by the crisis, which is what gives opportunity for change after it. And, and the thing is to channel the energy of the crisis. And as I say, the reflections that we all have had, you know, we're all sat here forced to reflect on how we make a living, whether it's important, you know, how we sit in this particular situation, what might happen after that, what, what we could be contributing to societal outcomes individually, especially if what we're doing is living at the moment is, is, is being deprioritized and we're left with time on our hands. Um, I say how other people make a living and what, where we allocate resources in society, and we will be forced to think about that. We're going to you know, hit some kind of financial difficulties, if not rather a deep recession. Um, we'll have to choose how we're going to allocate resources after that, and, and we'll have to make choices about that. But, but I think we'll go into that with a lot more awareness about what really matters and, and how we should be rebuilding. And I was very interested to see um, you know, Amsterdam picking up Kate Raworth's work and saying they're going to think about donor economics as, as, a, as a founding stone of their recovery. You know, that, that's, a, that's an isolated case at the moment, but if that became more generalised, that's the kind of opportunity that I see here. And yes, everybody with a, an angle or an agenda is going to sort of see this as an opportunity to say, yes, now, now is the time to rebuild you know, coal mining or whatever. But, but if, you, if you step back and say, well, what have we learned from this? As I say, we've learned that we're very interconnected. We've learned that our, our way of working is actually quite fragile, although it seems to have ridden out a lot of storms. It can be broken with this tiny sort of virus thing can, can completely bring it to a halt in a matter of weeks. So, so we could make something which is more resilient, more robust, um, and more thoughtful and more deliberative. So, so, and those models are there, and they're competing, as you say, with people taking more narrow agendas and, and, and furthering um, the continuation of things which, which we would regard as unsustainable. There is the opportunity to move to something which is more sustainable. And all of those things are competing for attention during the crisis, uh, and I'm keen that we channel those things to make the right informed choices for humanity not for any narrow sections of humanity because we are all interconnected and i say the biggest lesson out of this for me is, is the interconnectedness of, of it all you know how we treat animals actually affects how we treat us how we treat healthcare in every part of the world affects the healthcare we all receive so if somebody's getting bad healthcare, it will come home to roost in your healthcare, even if you can afford very good healthcare. And those kinds of uh, short circuiting of, of arguments are really uh, informative to the debate I love that. I really love that. And um, I guess that kind of leads on to the question, like, what is Cambridge University doing to kind of prepare ourselves for that moment? And maybe it's too early in the day to do it, but are you guys already hearing from governments or big business or, you know, local organisations that are keen to build those things in, like Kate Rayworth's Donut Economics? And so I'm interested to understand, like, how what you're doing with Cambridge and, and the university more broadly and the research there 
Yes, well, I can't, I can't speak on, on behalf of Cambridge University as a whole. I'm, I'm a, a senior associate with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, but, but they, they, that's certainly, this is certainly the space we operate in. And, and uh, yes, there's lots of parallels being drawn between climate emergency and the coronavirus and so forth. I think the, um, yeah, my take, and I, and I know colleagues agree, you know, we, we should keep that broad because, you know, again, the danger is we say, well, climate change is the next thing. And again, we start doing it in, incrementally and taking very narrow slices of the agenda, these things are all interrelated. You know, the, the way the climate works is linked to nature, which is linked to coronavirus and so forth. So making the connections is important. So so, so the Institute um, is looking at you know, a whole project of, of building the future we want. You know, that, that's, that's going to be the um, path out of this from the Institute's perspective, which is to, as we've always done, is to try and bring together people who are in politics, who are in business, in society, and say, okay, how do we actually make sense of this? And how do we actually turn it into um, digestible policy and industrial practice and so forth? So there's going to be a huge initiative out of this that says, as we recover, how do we do that in a thoughtful, deliberative way, in making it digestible, bringing the best of science into it, making it so that you know, consumers can understand it and, and, and incorporate it in their lives and make it so that industry can make money out of it and, and, and survive and prosper out of it and so that policy can be written around it. So the, the idea is to use this opportunity as the crisis and the recovery from the crisis to be something that is quite uh, thoughtful and deliberative and discussed between these different entities rather than it being, as so often happens with crises like this, a bit of a land grab where people just see an opportunity or a vacuum and they you know, to, to uh, improve their own uh, traditional position. Or the, the, that we do, as happened perhaps with the, the financial crisis of 2008, we, we just try and get the machine back on the rails as much like as it was before without really thinking about what needs to change. Yeah, I, I hear you totally. I mean, we've obviously gone on a huge journey in the last about 10 months at Vivo Barefoot to um, make a big cultural shift around moving from sustainability and just trying to grow a business and do a little less harm to the, you know, to the environment and to people to fundamentally setting up the entire intent of the business around regenerating and restoring the health of people, the health of communities, um, and obviously the health of the environment and nature. And arguably in, in our world, as you know, like the hardest bit is that cultural shift from leadership to the very top to the bottom and everywhere out in between. You know, the reality is now kind of integrating that, implementing that everywhere across the business. And we're really struggling when it comes to understanding how to, you know, put things in place that sit next to how a traditional business is structured in terms of policy and process. So for example, when you're talking about um, measuring impact as a business, it's really easy to go towards financial metrics where you're talking about the amount of products sold or, you know, profit made or sales generated or customer engagement. But when you come to, you know, how much have you improved biodiversity impact in that area or how, you know, how is that person's health, happiness, health and well-being improved? It all becomes very intangible and it's really, really difficult. And I guess my hope is that, you know, universities looking into this and of course the work you're doing is, is starting to come up with some of those answers so that the people who really do want to do this, as this momentum picks up, as this kind of shift, this culture shift picks up and we really start to, you know, fall in love and, and with the idea of regeneration in the same way we have with sustainability, um, you know, that, that there are those solutions there when people want them. Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think the when I was in the automotive industry, we tried, my, my team tried as, a, as an exercise to sort of map out all of the consequences and causes of what, what we did across not just climate change in the financial side, but across the whole social, environmental, economic perspective with as, with as a comprehensive set of metrics as, as we could. And there's a, there's, I guess there's a kind of a loose rule that says, you know, the more comprehensive it is, the more proximate it has to be. But, but it, it gave us a 
an impression of what actually mattered uh, and what was connected to what and how various interventions could could align. And, and, and from that, we were able to derive what we felt was a sustainable strategy and say, you know, if, if we do these things, a relatively short list, you know, five or six things that you do that actually addresses the whole gamut of issues, you know, so, so that then becomes digestible. But, but we, we got quite deeply into the metrics and say causes and consequences. And I say we, we learned a lot about what really mattered and, and some things that didn't matter that perhaps were still being attended to and so on. So your best approximation is probably a lot better than what you've been working with traditionally. So, so a lot of these numbers were provisional and we had to improve some and we decided to discard others because they, they probably didn't matter so much when we, when we looked at them closely. So that kind of understanding your, your impacts and dependencies and, and enumerating them to some degree, knowing that there's limitations in that process, allows you to really understand um, what your um, opportunity is and, and, and helps you steer towards a strategy which can tackle probably many of those issues without having to make a, you know, a thousand items to do list out of it. You can keep it quite manageable. And that, the link between those things really is systems thinking to say, how, how does my system interact with other systems, whether it's climate or forestry or, or marine or whatever. And once you understand that, you can say, well, yeah, there is a path through this, which is, which is a manageable set of business strategies that I can sell to my shareholders, to my customers, to my employees, my supply chain, and we can all get behind it. And, and what we have here is, is an opportunity to step back from all of that and, and reevaluate it uh, and get onto a better course. And that, that, that's really what can come out of this. Um, the danger is that we say, okay, all these industries have been damaged. They, they just need to be getting money until they all get back to where they were. Um, we question as to the value they're bringing or, or the value that they're missing. Yeah, I suppose that's, again, the cynical side of me is a little bit very scared that that is exactly what's going to happen. And I mean, a lot of people are celebrating at the moment the fact that they can see the water in Venice and, you know, that they can see the Himalayas in, in Nepal at the moment. And people are lauding the success of the environmental movement. And I'm kind of just sitting there like, no, the airlines are going to come back twice as hard next year to try and make up for the money they've lost this year. There's no way that this is an achievement for sustainability. I just failed to believe it. Yeah. And again, it's too, it's too early to tell. I think the hope we have, the opportunity we have um, is, is to take, I mean, when you, when you look at how much we've collectively learned, and again, this isn't, a, this isn't an event in the, you know, like news items often say so they, they do a 24 hour news cycle and that's it. And you know, one or two events recently have gone on for rather longer and we get a bit bored of them. But I mean, this is something where we've all globally, we've never had a thing where we've all globally sat at home with the opportunity to think about these things and reflect on. So that global shared experience is quite an interesting thing and for it to be done under some duress again the sort of surviving surviving a, um, a difficult experience is one of the things that binds people together and yet they're separate so there's some really interesting conundrums in here which have the opportunity to wake us collectively up to a bit different and better future but the, the, that idea will be competing with much more conservative ideas of getting things back to how they were and as quickly as possible as you say perhaps putting environmental laws or other things on one side in order to allow that to happen but that, that to me that's a very outmoded short-sighted way of seeing things and also not really learning the lessons of this you know how we've treated the environment is part of the cause of where we are so 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 being even more negligent towards the environment is only going to amplify the problems it's not going to solve them at their root and, and that's what we should be focusing on. my question is what is your advice and you know if you could take action if you were someone who believed in what you were saying and um, you know, wanted to be a part of that, whether you were just someone that has never been exposed to this topic before, someone who was very educated around this, what, what is your advice and, and what would you do? I, I think that my advice would be to, to learn a little bit more about it. It's, it's always helpful to try and study these things. We've all got some time on our hands at the moment that perhaps wasn't there before. So it's an opportunity to, to do some learning, to read, 
to try and understand uh, what's happening and try and understand where you sit in, in relation to the, those issues. Again, we, we, we see, I mean, you've talked about different industries and things, but you know, we, we've seen just in the past few days, you know, the, the automotive industry, you know, the car racing industry, the aerospace, and making respirators and all these things. They didn't even know they were capable of these things, I suspect, and, until somebody said, we really need this and people's lives depend upon it. And by the way, there's nothing else for you to do with your people and your equipment. And suddenly, all this innovation is coming out. You know, so that, that's the potential we're sitting on. No one's ever asked the exam question how, how do you do those things? How do you make the po- biggest possible contribution to society? So we, we've, we're sitting around all that possibility. Uh, you know, I've interacted much more with my neighbours than I have for ages, much more with my family than I have for ages. And these are all things I don't have time for. But I do have time for, and I should make time for those things, you know. So, so we're, we're all discovering things about ourselves that we didn't know. And we're all discovering potential that, that, that was always there, but it was untapped and sort of constrained by the uh, the sort of millstone of doing what we've kind of trained ourselves to do over the years. Um, so I think that reflection is a huge opportunity. And in, in terms of advice, again, I, I come back to the thing, uh, you know, and Elon Musk has said this, you know, the source of a lot of his genius is, is to say, you know, what does society need on one hand? What can science offer? And, and how can I contribute to the, the, the direct linkage between those two things? You know, the, as we said from the start here, science has suddenly come to the fore as this um, goldmine of ideas and, and guidance for policy and all these kinds of things in a way that it's slightly been suppressed. You know, and and uh, Greta Thunberg says, you know, that it's, you shouldn't be implementing what is politically expedient. You have to implement what science really requires because it's, it's not going to negotiate in, in that sense. It's just going to carry on with what it does. So if you know what science requires and what it's capable of, and you know what society needs, and if you can short circuit those two things, and if you can help with that short circuiting, then you know, the, the maximization of, of value to humanity uh, pause out of that and I say, but look at the possibilities. Look at the possibilities of what can be done. Look at the energy. You know, Captain Tom with his with his fundraising. You know, pe- people suddenly relate. You know, he's hoping to raise a thousand pounds and and overachieve like three many many thousands of percent already, and it's going up every day. But that struck a chord with everybody. You know, everybody saw something in that. You know, and, I, and I, that's that's the bit the, the the thing that we need to mobilise is is people's best selves, not not their worst selves. And I think the majority of people are absolutely up for making the best contribution they, they possibly can to to society. They don't want to come up and wreck the planet and wreck other people's lives. They want to do something positive and to see that opportunity for yourself and say, okay, what can I do today? I can go out and help somebody, you know, possibly save somebody's life. I think most people respond to that. Again, that that's the part of how we've evolved is, as human beings is protect others, you know, to look after each other. And we, we put into situations now where those connections have been reshaped and revised and, and short-circuited, uh, and we find a, a better self inside ourselves. And I think that's, that's the bit that I'd like to see, uh, you know, sort of bottled and generalised. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a balance though, right? Because I, th- I think that, you know, if you look at the, the course that you teach on, for example, the Sustainable Value Chains course, of which I myself was a student, a couple of years ago, I think that you'd find that most students that attend that, most students would have gone through some level of experience of environmental hardship or humanitarian hardship, which make them learn a lesson and want to have a thirst to understand the, you know, why that's happened more and then, you know, what the potential solutions are and then work obviously with a community of like-minded people to come over, overcome that issue. And I think, you know, I, I really do want to see a movement back towards um, an appetite for having the challenging conversations, both from a consumer level, but more importantly, from an industry level, so that we can get the right policies in place. Um, there's a couple of brands running around at the moment claiming to be carbon neutral or carbon positive in the fashion industry. And, 
anyone who knows this industry knows that that carbon data is so bad. It's based off really bad secondary data and progress is progress, right? And we should celebrate that. But the, you know, the more you dress up bad data in pretty clothing, it's still a, you know, it's still a turd underneath, to be frank. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. So yes, the uh, whether we can um, polish turds or roll them in glitter is, is a long, long-standing conversation. And I, and I, I recognise... Yeah, the program that you and I met through um, is perhaps a group of self-selecting people in the in the sense that they they put themselves forward for this and have had some kind of experience or perhaps have grown up with a particular worldview, um, and and it's great to work with people in that space and they're motivated that way. The other half of what I do is, is to talk to people who weren't necessarily you know, for business people, finance people, people from sectors who are having a hard time. You know, people at like plastic sector who, who suddenly have had their own crisis prior to, to the, the current pandemic, whose futures are on the line, who understand these issues and, and want to learn more. And when you work with people in large numbers, and I, I past, past couple of years have, have helped me work with several thousand people in, in that kind of perspective, and they come along and they feel the same way that you and I do, you know, instead in of understanding that there are issues and they want to learn more. That is really mobilizing, motivating, because those, those aren't the usual suspects. That isn't who you'd expect to have in the room. That isn't the people who you say, yeah, hang on, we're going to have to look at our business. And, and when the senior management of those companies actually come along and put money on the table to train their people, maybe many or all of their senior people to say, this is how we're going to operate in the future. That is a really positive movement. And that was happening before coronavirus. Coronavirus is only sort of fueling that fire to say, these issues matter, there's interconnectivity, there are risks that we don't understand or that we've downplayed or, or, or that could surface. And you know, all of this kind of is available to us, is what, is what we teach as an institute. And, and there are ways of dealing with it. You know, there, there are ways which are manageable. It's not overwhelming. It can be dealt with, but it, it requires a level of understanding and a certain perspective, which helps you incorporate it. And nobody yet in, in the years I've been doing this has come to us and spent some time with us and gone away saying, well, I thought it was a load of rubbish. You know, I think you've missed the point altogether. You've made no impact on me. I'm going to go back to my desk and do uh, exactly what I was doing before. That's never happened. Maybe people are incredibly polite, but I suspect they've paid enough money they wouldn't they'd be asking for it back rather than being that polite. Um, I, I think people go away with a changed perspective and, and it's common for people to go away from these programs with, with a changed life. You know, they actually see life differently, which sounds uh, perhaps overplaying it, but, it, but it's, it's a common comment because I always see my life differently. I see my career differently. I see my business differently and I am going to go out there and do as much change as I can. And that's the stuff I hang on to. Yes, the world's full of politics and PR and, 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 and worldviews that, that are not aligned to this. But, but when you see large numbers of people in influential positions going away saying, yeah, this has to change, and I'm committed to changing my part of the universe, that is inspiring. And that's, that's the thing I grab, grab onto and, and, and try and uh, um, say, turn into positive energy. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap up, actually, because um, I think your inspiration and uh, your motivation and your steadfastness on this is, is incredible. And I'm really glad that we're able to share it with a few more people. And yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to following people like you out of all of this, you know, all of this crisis and all of this darkness into the light. So it um, sounds like I'm, are we starting a cult? We, started, well, we, started. <laughs> we always were. <laughs> um, so just lastly, where can people go to find out a little bit more about you and about the course? Uh, so you can Google CISL Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership and a whole variety of courses there online, uh, face-to-face, customized, senior you know, introductory courses and so on. So there's a whole um, range of offerings there um, which you can find online. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time, Ian. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you. See you soon. Bye. Well, that's it for today. 
If you manage to get the entire way through this podcast without getting really annoyed by my bloody Australian accent, you deserve an award. For more information and to listen to the other episodes, go to vivobarefoot.com. See you later.